Good morning. I'm Sonia Thompson. Our reading is from Galatians 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia and specific issues they've been dealing with that you guys have heard us talk about here on Sundays um, is this issue of adding circumcision to faith in Christ. They were Gentiles who became Christians and Jewish Christians came and said, you guys need to add circumcision. And Paul says, no, if you add circumcision or any other religious activity, religious duty, some sort of work of the law, to faith in Christ, you're nullifying the grace of Christ. And so he spends a lot of time talking about how we are saved by grace, that the finished work of Christ is enough. And that's your identity. Your identity is a son or daughter of God. You are an heir of heaven. You can now call God Almighty your Abba Father. And you now have freedom. You have been set free by Jesus out of slavery, slavery to sin, to religiousness, to your culture's views, you're set free to live as you were meant to live in Christ. So then the question is, how then do we live? In the next couple of chapters, the Galatians 5 and 6, Paul is talking about how we live. And so we often ask the question, what do I need to do or what should I not do when we're talking about how do we live? What can we do and what do we not do? And so let me read... um, Verse 16 of chapter 5, where Paul starts in on this, um, this kind of little episode, this section here. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, so then he goes on to talk about, uh, later on after this, the works of the flesh, and lists all sorts of vices and sins that we're familiar with. And then after that, lists the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And so on one level, we read that and we're like, okay, don't do this, instead do that. But that's not that easy. It's not that easy just to turn away from and do this instead. 
don't do that, do this instead. And it doesn't actually align with how Paul seems to be talking about living out the fullness of our in Christ life. And so in Galatians 5, 16 to 25, I want us to look at it maybe slightly different than you have if you've looked at the fruit of the Spirit and some of these other things before. And one of the things I want us to see is Paul is trying to emphasize that there is within every one of us, every human being, a battle within us. And that battle is fought on the level of our desires, our wants, our loves, our trusts. And then secondly, to look at what does it mean to live the life in the Spirit, How do we live into the life of the Spirit? Which is basically, how do you live into who you are now in Christ? And so, in verse 17, Paul starts off, we're going to start looking at the the battle within us, this desire battle, because I think that's the key to unpacking the rest of it. In verse 17, Paul writes, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the other way around. So, um, just to kind of understand the words that he's using there, flesh and spirit. So, if you've grown up in church circles, you sort of know what that means, maybe. Um, I want us to think about it in this sort of way. So flesh is not just your physical body. There was ways of reading this that's like, oh, it's your physical body is a bad thing, and your kind of spiritual side, your kind of emotional, spiritual, soulish side is the good thing. But that's, that's not what Christianity teaches. It's not what Judaism ever understood. It's not that the body is good and the spiritual side of us is bad. Rather, this word flesh is one of Paul's common terms. It's a Greek word, sarks, and when Paul uses it, he's redefining it. And he's redefining it this way. It is the sin-desiring aspect of our whole self. So there's a sin-desiring aspect of our whole selves. In sin, we always define it here as doing what you want without regard for God. So that part of us that wants to do what we want without regard for God, that is our sarks our flesh. The opposite in this case is not just the spiritual sort of side of us, it is the spirit-renewed, the spirit-renewed side of us, that, that God-desiring aspect of us. So there's a part of us that even apart from knowing God, you have some sense that there must be something more. And when you come to faith in Christ, or you start kind of just sensing something else going on, there is a God-desiring aspect that hunger for something more, or literally the hunger for more of God, to experience His love and grace and mercy in eternity. That is your spirit versus your flesh in the way that Paul is talking about it. But what he's saying is that there is a desiring aspect to us. So, we are not primarily thinking creatures. We think we are. We're not primarily thinking creatures. The root of who we are is desiring creatures. We're desiring creatures. That's where the battle happens. It's what you want, what you love, what you need, what you're hungry for in your soul. And Paul uses a term here, and he only uses it in relation to the flesh in this whole passage. He uses it a couple of different times. The word desires in verse 17, also in verse 16 and later in 24, is tied to the flesh. He doesn't actually use the verb desires or the the adjective desires with the spirit. It's just kind of a, a, a... implied. But the word desire there is a cognate word that is combining the word want, which in the Greek is thumia, and this uh, preposition epi. It means over, 
against, greater than. So if you go to the next slide, it's epithumia is the word. And you know the word epi from epidemic, right? So an epidemic, like the opioid epidemic, means it is widespread problem. It is a, it's not just a problem, it's a widespread problem. It's a real, real big problem. So epi is sort of an emphasizer. And what Paul is using it for here as he reuses this word is it is not just a desire like I want something like um, two nights ago I wanted some ice cream, right? So that's just a, I want some ice cream, or I, I want some chocolate, or in the morning I want some, now that might be more of an epithumia, my coffee desire is probably more of an epithumia. But so I, you want something, it's a thumia, you desire something, but an epithumia is an inordinate or controlling desire. It's something you must have, and you or I might not even be aware of it in us. It's where your hearts, trusts, and loves are applied. It's what your functional Savior is. So even those of us who call ourselves Christians say, oh, Jesus is my Savior, but in my day-to-day -day life, I'm turning to something to give me the sense of joy and hope and satisfaction that I'm meant to find in Christ. That's my functional savior. There's something underneath of that that is my epithumia, my over-desire, my controlling desire. Dr. David Pallison, in an article a number of years back, wrote, if idolatry is the summary Old Testament word for our drift from God, then desires, and specifically epithumia, is the New Testament word for the same drift and the concept of inordinate life-ruling desires. So this is what's at work. This is what's at work. And this is what's at work when Paul starts talking about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. There's something in us that desires one and the other, and they're constantly battling. And so let me go ahead and read on the works of the flesh, uh, the next section. Paul goes on to say, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So on one level, I want you to see something here. Whenever Paul, especially in the New Testament, uses a list, a list of things, it's very often not meant to be an exhaustive list. This is not everything. Do you know that on here is not greed? Does that mean you can be greedy? No, because Paul says, literally, and things like this, right? Like, you know what I'm talking about here. And I want us to see a couple of other things. Paul is trying to hit on different aspects of things. Like he talks about drink and sex. And literally, the, the drunkenness and orgies, orgies was actually like a drunken party. So getting high, getting wasted. All sorts of sexuality outside of God's bounds. So that's on one level. But on the other is this sort of internal jealousy, anger, relational divisions. He's talking about things that are what we might call in religious circles immoral things, things you can see. Oh, he's drunk. But there's also things that are internal that you don't see, like jealousy and relational things, like division, polarization, despising other people. And in some ways, Paul is hitting on the way that um, this is, it's both uh, secular rule breakers who don't believe in God, it's like, okay, do whatever you want, and religious and moralistic and, and good people are being implicated in this. And, and Paul is saying, look, God cares about all of you. He cares about your body, 
and what you do with your body. He cares about your mind, your emotions, what you think about in relation to others. He cares about your relationships. He cares about the whole you. And he wants you to live life to the full. And it's not in these things. And in fact, what's interesting is the way that Paul defines the kind of actions of the flesh. He calls them works of the flesh. The reason why works of the flesh is interesting is because Paul has used the word work numerous times in Galatians. But every time prior to this, the word work is associated with works of the law, basically the Ten Commandments. So he's talking throughout Galatians 1, 2, 3, 4 about works of the law, works of the law, all the good things, the religious things, whether it was circumcision or obeying the Sabbath or all these things that were very religious good things. But now he's adding in works of the flesh. And the challenge is this, is like what Paul is saying throughout the whole first half of this is all those additions, like your religiousness, your goodness, whether it's circumcision or something else, when you add that onto faith in Christ, you're nullifying the cross of Christ. You're saying Jesus' death on the cross was not enough. If you add circumcision, you Galatians, you will be rejecting Jesus as your Savior, and you will be relying on your religiousness, your good works for your acceptance, for your love and approval and forgiveness by God, which basically means you are on your own self-salvation project. But here, he's talking about works of the flesh, things that we would normally call, even in kind of like non-religious circles, vices, bad things, bad stuff that we don't want to do. And Paul is saying, it functions just like a religion does. Doing bad things functions just like doing good things. It's underneath it is something we are worshiping. It's something that we are seeking and that we are serving, and we are turning to this thing or these things in order to achieve those. Whether it's approval or comfort or security or love. An epi-desire, an epithumia, is a good desire that becomes ultimate. So you want to be a good person, you want to be liked, you want to be successful. Those are good things. But if that's where you get your sense of worth from, if that's something you must have, it's a functional Savior and Lord. Drink, sex, romance, in the confines of God can be good things. But if you go there for comfort, for love, to know that you're loved, for the sense that you matter, if it's something that you must have, then it has you. You're putting your heart's trusts and loves in those things and in what they can give you. Keller summarizes it when he said, the sin underneath all of our sins, so the sin underneath all of our sins, the motive is always a lack of trust in God's goodness and a desire to protect ourselves through self-salvation. Underneath of anything we do, the motive behind it, when it's not the Spirit, is a desire to save ourselves, prove ourselves, guarantee our future. So that's true about, you know, works of the law and these vices. And Paul says, instead of that way, live out the fruit of the Spirit. 
He describes it, or he writes it um, in verses 22 and 23. He said, instead of, you know, the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Again, this is a list, but I'm going to suggest to you that this list is not exhaustive. It does not include humility and generosity. I think Jesus is all for both of those things. So it's these sorts of things. You know what to do. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And in one way, one of the ways Paul talks about it, he talks about works of the flesh, but here he talks about fruit, singular, of the Spirit, that it's not just one single thing you need to work on, it's all of these should be being produced in you. Because here's what I've found, is any one of us might be naturally predisposed to be good at a couple of these, or you've had training, like your parents got on you, and so you know how to be kind. You know how to be kind to other kids because from an early age they worked on it. Or you're just naturally a patient person. So your natural bents don't make you more fruitful. They just mean that you happen to like naturally be patient, joyful, optimistic. Some of us aren't optimistic, all right? But what Paul is getting at here is not what you must do. But rather that fruit, remember, fruit is a natural product, produce, right? A natural product of what the tree is. These things, love, joy, peace, patience, are a natural overflow of who we are. And they are also, notice this, the fruit of the Spirit. It's something the Spirit produces in us. But what does the Spirit actually do? What is the Spirit's job? According to John 16, the Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus. Do you know why the Spirit comes? The Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit falls on people so that they can seek Jesus, see Jesus, understand Jesus, relate to Jesus. The Spirit's existence is to point you to Christ. The whole reason the Holy Spirit exists is not for you to look awesome. The whole reason the Spirit exists is for you to know Christ. He exists to glorify Jesus. The Spirit is going to point you to Jesus. And in John 15, what did Jesus say? He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. How do you produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? Seek Jesus. Let the Spirit drive you to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Not try harder to be really patient. Try harder to be joyful. Work really hard at these things. No, it's seek Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Worship Jesus. The more you seek Jesus, and that's the Spirit leading you to Jesus, the less you will serve your epithumias. They will become distant things because they're less enticing in the end than Jesus. And in that sense, that's what Paul is trying to get at here overall in this whole section is become who you are in Christ and who you will one day be in heaven. 
the end of this section that Sonia read for us, verses 24 and 25, Paul says, and these, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You know, as, uh, as one writer put it, you are what you love. Okay, you are what you love. And that you and I are primarily desiring creatures and what you do and do habitually will shape and form your loves and desires. What you do and do habitually will shape and form your loves and desires. Something is discipling you. Something is shaping and forming your heart's loves and desires. It just is. You are feeding something in your life and you are starving something. At any given moment, you are feeding something and you are starving something in your soul. And Paul is saying, put to death, crucify, crucify, put to death the things of the flesh with its passions and epithumias. And I'm going to tell you that when you start putting to death your epithumias, it is painful. When God starts working on you and peeling away things that you were your functional saviors and trusts, you will start screaming inside like Gollum with one of those strings around his neck. You will start retching. There's something inside of you that wants nothing to do with peeling off your functional trusts and saviors, control or power or approval, the things we must have. I don't want to give it up. I don't want to give it up. Sometimes it happens because God is working in us these things, and other times it happens because of circumstances in our life that just peel away what we were trusting in. And it's really painful. It's a stripping process. Death is not an easy thing. But the gospel points us to a resurrection on the far side of a grave. That we do not end up in death. Things that feel like death in God are sources of life in the end. In Psalm 16, he says, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You will not leave him in the grave. And that's God's promise, not just to Jesus, but to each one of us. As we are putting to death the epithumias of our heart, he is saying, and I will give you a life that you cannot imagine on the far side of this grave. Any death in our lives, any death of a desire of a functional Savior is not the final death. God wants to bring about life that you cannot even imagine. As the disciples couldn't imagine a good side after the crucifixion in the grave. Put to death the things of the flesh. But why do we put to death the things of the flesh? Because you belong to Christ Jesus. Rather, actually, it's not do this, it's hey, you belong to Christ Jesus. You're not your own person. Your body is not your own. Your desires are not your own. Your relationships are not your own. You are not here because you chose to be here. You belong to Christ. He died for you. He is your Savior and Lord. You belong to Jesus. And so you have crucified 
the flesh with its epithumia. That old self is dead. It's actually dying away. That old self, that epithumia, your flesh side is not going to live forever. It's not. That sinful side of you that desires life apart from God is not going to live forever. It's going to die. You want to live life to the full? Let it die sooner. Paul is saying, live out of your true identity. Your flesh is no longer your true identity. Maybe it was. It's not your true identity anymore. The desires of your flesh, your epithumia, is not who you are. So quit acting like a slave. You're free. Live in the fullness of that freedom. Live out your true identity in Christ. Live into the fullness of being made into the image of Christ. You know, this whole section is about living into the freedom that Christ has already given us through his death on the cross. This section centers on our desires and living now into the spirit desires instead of your sin desires, your self-desires. Now, look, I, one thing we need to remember, it's not that your desire for pleasure or love or security disappear. Those things are still going to be battling inside of us our whole lives probably. But it's that they no longer control or drive you. You don't have to serve them anymore. They are not your master. And you begin to find yourself over the course of time desiring the Lord more and more, desiring Jesus. So take one particular area of like potential epithumia, a desire, an over-desire for comfort. And it's connecting kind of desire for control. Control and comfort often go side by side. They kind of work together. They're great partners. So a desire for comfort can be a desire for peace in everything. Being okay, well, happy, successful. That desire to be happy, successful, have everything going well will drive you and I to serve comfort by controlling the outcomes. And in that sense, our peace or our joy, the things we really think we're after, that comfort, is always circumstantial. It's tied to our family or our job or our career or our friendships. All of them need to go well and go well as I define them, right? For me to have comfort, I need everything to go well as I want it to go well. And when I'm doing that, I'm not finding my peace in Christ. I'm not warming myself by the fire of God's love for me. There's something I must have, whether it's my kids thriving or my, my career doing well or whatever it is, whatever it is that you, you, you kind of put in that place of, I'm, I feel comfortable if this is at this place. Those things have to happen for me to have peace. And so there's something I am serving besides God. But the Spirit causes us, instead of desiring comfort as an end, it causes us to desire Christ. And the more we desire Christ, the more you hunger for Jesus, the more you find the assurance and the love and the acceptance and the hope and the peace that you are turning to 
in all these other things. And so we don't look to success or romance or our kids' happiness or the escape things we try to do. We don't turn to those to gain comfort and pleasure. We rest in the pleasure of God's love for us. We find our joy and peace in Him. And when you are finding your peace and joy in Christ instead of your circumstances, you can find this. When you do sin, you don't have to hide it anymore. On one level, we know it's already forgiven. We're accepted and loved in Christ because of his death on the cross. But on the other level, we can say, you know what? When I sin, that's not my true self. That's not who I am because it's not really what I want. What I truly want is Jesus. Now, the battle is within me. And you know, I've found as I've grown in faith, I find myself actually saying a phrase like that inside of my head. And it's this, as I'm kind of dealing with temptation or or doubt or fear or shame or anxiety or wanting to turn into something, it's, this is not what I want. I say that inside of my head. I've realized this. This will not satisfy. I want Christ. I want Jesus. I'm saying it as a reminder to myself, but I'm also saying it as a rebuke to Satan and to my sinful self. This is not what I want. It will not satisfy. I want Jesus, and I want an eternity with him. Get out of here. So it's not try harder to be more joyful and peaceful and be more like Christ. Rather, pursue Christ. Pursue Christ. And this fruit will grow in you. The comfort that you're looking for can only be found in Christ. And then he says to go on after that, So keep in step with the Spirit. You know, that phrase, keep in step with the Spirit, uh, at the end of the whole section here, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It's basically like this. Hey, the Spirit is in you. It's taking you a certain direction. Why not walk that way? It's like being on one of those uh, walking sidewalks um, at the airport. You can stand on it, and it's going to get you to the end of the, the little runway thing. Or you can walk and really pass everybody else, right? Paul is saying, hey, you're on this pathway. This is where the Spirit is taking you. Why not walk that way? Why not enjoy the fullness of the life that is for you? The Spirit is in you renewing and reforming your loves and heart's desires, and it's taking you heavenward. And that's, in a sense, Paul's vision of how you and I are supposed to live. It's what are the things that you're going to look like in heaven? I don't mean like what are you going to look like physically. I have no idea what you and I are going to look like physically. But what is your character going to be like in heaven? What sorts of things do you think you'll be doing in heaven? And what sort of things do you think you will not be doing in heaven? And Paul says, live that way. You're, you're destined for eternity. Why not live now in the fullness of the heavenly eternal life now? And I think there's great freedom in that. There's great freedom in living into God's created design and eternal purposes for us. Hear that again. There's greater freedom in living into God's created design for us and His eternal purposes than in anything we can find on our own. 
Did you guys see that uh, viral documentary about the golden eagles in the Pacific Northwest that were burrowing underground and diseasing themselves? It was like 10 years ago or something like that. Crazy, crazy things. So these eagles, that what the biologists think were happening as they were studying these eagles is they, were, they preyed on things like marmots and other creatures on the ground, and they might have observed what the marmots were doing. And marmots, for instance, live underground like groundhogs. They burrow underground. They protect themselves that way. Well, this whole kind of... All these golden eagles were doing just that. Instead of making nests up high, they were making nests on the ground and underground. And they ended up getting these diseases on their, on their feathers. Feathers started following, falling out. They started starving. They were being hunted more quickly, more easily by other predators. And they were dying off. They basically all died off. Did anybody else see that one? It's because I made it up. There were no golden eagles burrowing underground. Eagles do not burrow underground. They're eagles. They fly. That would be dumb. <laughs> the New Testament ethic is saying that sort of thing to you and me. You are made to fly. Why do you think you need to burrow underground? Is it going to make you happier? Safer? Stronger? Is it going to provide the comfort you want, the pleasure you want, the love you want, the acceptance you want? Maybe temporarily, but it will not last. You know, an eagle is not conflicted. It doesn't have a battle of desires within him. He's just an eagle. He does what he's made to do. And in that sense, he is constantly worshiping God in his body. That's true freedom living out the fullness of what we were made to do and be. The Bible is very clear. Jesus was clear. Paul's writing about it is clear. Christianity is very clear. You are made for true freedom, and nothing else will satisfy you. Nothing else in this life that you turn to will satisfy you like Jesus. No job, no marriage, no sex, no amount of money, no future security, no relationship can give you what you need, what you're made for, what you're destined for. So how should you live? What do you need to do? Seek Jesus. Seek Jesus obsessively, passionately. If you don't know him, say, Jesus, if you exist, I want to know you. If you don't feel him, turn to him as if he does exist and go in that direction. Seek Jesus and find your rest in him. Let your loves and desires be fixed on him. And then, do what you want. Do what you truly want. Let's pray. God, we are all very familiar with the battle inside of us this wrestling over what we want to do and do not do, the things we hate to do, we end up doing. God, we want to know you. We want life to the full. We want eternity. Help us to be willing to die, to kill and crucify those parts of us that need to be killed. But Lord, assure us of your love. Wrap your arms around us. Remind us of who we are in Jesus and the hope we have in eternity.
fill us with your spirit and lead us in life everlasting. Amen.